Welcome to the Winning with Shopify podcast. This is the podcast that will teach you to take your Shopify store and turn it into a business-growing sales machine. It has the latest marketing, email, sales, SEO, and social media advice, and also has strategies and tips from the experts without fluff. Your host is Nick Truman. He's a Shopify expert and an education partner with the Shopify-approved course, 1,000 Sales and Beyond. He's the CEO of JustAskParker.com, a global specialist marketing agency for Shopify owners. Nick has over 13 years experience in digital marketing from PPC and SEO through to digital transformation of businesses. He's helped hundreds of brands from startup Shopify stores through to international enterprises that operate in hundreds of countries. Nick will be sharing his knowledge and interview the experts to help you in your journey to success. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. Now, here's your host, Nick Truman. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Winning with Shopify podcast. My name's Nick, your host, as you probably just heard on the intro track. I'm incredibly excited to introduce our guest in a second that we've got today. This is our second part of our SEO series. Today, as you probably saw in the title, we're going to be talking about the technical optimization of Shopify. So how can you make some technical improvements to your site or specifically to your Shopify store to then get more traffic in as a result of increased rankings from doing that work. If you haven't listened to last week's episode, this week's episode might not make a lot of sense. Last week's was on keywords. This week, we're talking about technical. Next week, we're talking about content. And the week after, we're talking about off-site. If you haven't hit the subscribe button yet, please do. It helps support the show. means you won't miss an episode as well as new things come out. But without further ado, I want to introduce my guest, Chris Long from Go Fish Digital. Hi, Chris. How are you doing? I'm great. I appreciate you having me on, Nick. Great to be here. Great stuff. And it's great to have you, Chris. I'm very much looking forward to today's episode. Technical SEO has been something very close to my heart for a very long time. So uh, it's great to have you here. And I'm looking forward to asking you some questions and uh, and digging through. But uh, before we do that, do you want to just give us a quick overview about you, the business you're part of at the moment, your background, Anything else you think is going to be relevant to our listeners? Sure. So uh, I am the director of e-commerce at GoFish Digital. GoFish Digital is a um, full-service digital marketing agency uh, based in the United States. We kind of specialize in SEO, content marketing, especially with the goal of getting backlinks for websites, as well as other services such as web design and development and influencer marketing. So that's a little bit of background on the agency I work for. My background, it's been a bit of a, an, an SEO journey as a lot of other people in the industry have probably taken. Started out kind of in a smaller shop doing some you know, basic on-page SEO optimizations, uh, also doing very full-service digital marketing agency where I was doing a lot of social media, SEO, some content marketing, wearing a lot of different hats, came to GoFish and then really started specializing uh, in more just SEO specifically. Uh, and then specifically more technical or architectural SEO, as we call it, really focusing on, hey, this this website has uh, 2 million pages. How can we really limit Google's crawl? Or maybe this site uses a lot of JavaScript. How can we kind of limit those instances so Google doesn't have to go through the second wave of indexing? So from there with GoFish, I started taking on more of our e-commerce clients, kind of leading to my current role today. Uh, and obviously a large part of that, we've been seeing an increasing number throughout the, the past two years of Shopify sites. That's been one consistent thing that we've we've seen. So we've started to, to develop kind of frameworks on how to work with those sites just because we've seen so many come through the door. Nice. And I think Shopify obviously is such an expanding platform, as you say. What I want to talk about first 
And I think it's going to be a really interesting question, especially given your background. Do you want to talk us through how much Shopify does out of the box from a technical SEO or, as you guys say, an architectural SEO perspective? Sure. So Shopify does um, a few things out of the box. One is it's going to set up a sitemap.xml file for you. For those who don't know, sitemap.xml is basically create a list of your URLs that say, hey, these are some of the most important pages on our site. Google, you should go crawl these more frequently. Generally, Shopify will auto-generate those for your category pages, your product pages, uh, the site's marketing pages, uh, as well as any blog posts. And it actually will, if you have a really large Shopify store, um, we've actually seen it, it will actually create a child site maps for any additional products or category pages that you might add. So that's a really good thing it does out of the box. It's, I'd say... You can't edit that sitemap file, but I would say in 95% of cases, you really don't need to. Really very strong kind of uh, technical SEO element that comes out of the box well. As well, you can also, it also does come with a robots.txt file. You all, you can't, you can't edit that. But once again, I would say in, in most cases, you probably don't need to. It's going to block things uh, like Shopify's internal search, some of the internal pages from getting crawled. And, and just to back up what that, what that robots.txt does as it tells Google, hey, here's what you can crawl and here's what you can't crawl on the site. So if you have, so Shopify will actually set up that, set that up for you out of the box. That is another kind of foundational thing that it does provide initially out of the box to users. As well, another technical SEO thing that it does well is gives the ability to set up redirects, which is crucial for any e-commerce store. 301 redirects allow you to say, hey, this page no longer exists. The relevant content is now at this page and will automatically redirect users. That's another thing Shopify will do nicely right out of the box without having to download any third-party apps or anything like that. And obviously, the, the first two things you spoke about, robots.txt and sitemap, so fundamental to SEO, aren't they? I mean, they, as you said, they're the first thing Google looks at. And so therefore, in one sense, Google's kind of expecting it, isn't it? If it's not there, it's a bit of a shock. Google has to go and crawl all the pages itself to try and find all your products, your categories, etc. So again, I think really, really fundamental things. How complicated would it be on, say, a custom build to create a sitemap or create a robots.txt file? On a custom built, so you're saying non-Shopify site? Yeah, so if it's a custom made, you know, somebody woken up one morning, coded up a site completely from scratch, how long do you think it would take them to, you know, or how complicated would it be to put together those two things? Sure. So robots.txt generally fairly easy. It's you're rarely editing that. So that that's probably going to be fairly straightforward from a custom build standpoint, probably something you would do once, probably pretty quickly, and then just circle back around to like once every, you know, six months or a year. That that's going to be pretty easy from a custom build standpoint. Sitemap.xml, on the other hand, you you wouldn't want to mess around and not having an auto-generated solution, especially on an e-commerce site. That's where that that's something you definitely need to be dynamically populated, which would definitely be a little bit more challenging on a custom build site. There are definitely you know automated solutions out there that a developer could implement, uh, but maybe not um, someone without a technical background. Having a dynamic sitemap is crucial because that dynamic sitemap is going to update as products are added, products are removed, those types of things. And that just happens so frequently on an e-commerce store that you don't want to get into kind of any type of manual updating with that uh, particular element. Definitely. So obviously, as soon as a product goes out of stock or actually one of your categories only has five products now, so you decide to take that category down because there's not enough products to justify having a category for it. You want to make sure your sitemap updates automatically. And then the other thing you mentioned as well is 301 redirects. You want to make sure that you can 301 redirect old pages when they disappear or 
probably more importantly, when people are moving to Shopify or moving to, you know, from one platform to another, you're going to want to make sure you redirect every single product page, every category page, et cetera. So, you know, as you say, I think really, really important to make sure that stuff is intact. Definitely. Cool. So when people sort of start up, what are some of the initial things or easy things people should look to sort out on Shopify? So we've spoken about some of the bits that are out the box. What are some of the things you'd recommend people do on their Shopify stores? Or kind of everybody must do this, or even if you've had a store for five years, these are the things you probably want to go and check quickly. Yeah. So I think everyone wants to perform uh, a site crawl of their site just to get just to get an additional foundational layer of how your Shopify technical SEO is. So are you linking to products in your navigation that are 301 redirecting, which isn't ideal for SEO? You're making the crawler do extra work. Are you linking to category pages or product pages that are returning 404 errors? are basically content that, uh, that doesn't exist on the site. That's also can be really bad for user experience and not ideal from a crawling standpoint. That, that's a really basic foundational technical layer. I think, you know, everyone should do that. That's, that's pretty straightforward. Sorry, just on that, do you recommend any tools people use to do the crawl? Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, the tool of choice in the SEO industry is, is by and large Screaming Frog. Screaming Frog is a fantastic crawler where you can basically just plug the homepage of your URL in and then it'll actually crawl through your site emulating how Google would do it. And then as it crawls, it'll identify all of these different technical SEO issues. It'll find all of your pages that are returning 300 redirects, 404 errors, 500 errors, pages that you might have no indexed by mistake. It's a really fantastic tool that emulates how Google will crawl a site. And if you want to get more advanced with it, you can you can emulate how Google Mobile will crawl a site. You can emulate how Google with JavaScript will crawl a site. It, it's a really advanced tool where you can do anything from basic crawling to really, really complex use case crawling. Crawling. So definitely the tool of choice if you're going to do any type of crawling for a Shopify site. Yeah, and I, I absolutely love the tool, not just because it's a British UK based tool, um, but also because, it, as you say, it is brilliant. They're, they're based in Bristol, which is not, not far from me. It's about a two hour drive from where I am. But also the other thing that's really good about it is it's, uh, I think it's 500 pages, isn't it? It will crawl for free. Yes, 500 pages is what you'll get for the free version. For most stores, unless you're a very small store, you need to go with the paid version. But if I would say this, if you're serious about any type of SEO on your site, it's one of the easiest tool investments. I think last time I checked, it was it was $100 per year. It might have It might have gone up since then, but it's very, very affordable for the value you get from an SEO perspective. One of the best value tools in the SEO. SEO industry is Screaming Frog, for sure. Definitely. I mean, we've got a few licenses with Screaming Frog, and there's no way I'd be running my business without it. I did realize recently, because you can upload a list of URLs to crawl, I did have a client recently that downloaded their sitemap as an XML file, converted it into a spreadsheet, and then uploaded 500 URLs at a time to do it. It's a bit manual. I mean, it, it does the job if that's what you need. They just needed a bit of information, you know, for the project they were doing. Normally, we would do that sort of thing for them. But yes, yeah, so you, you could do that if you want. I probably shouldn't share too much about using tools for free because I'm a massive fan of people paying for paying for things that are worth the money. And so, you know, as as you say, it's a it's a very very good tool. So anyway, before I rudely interrupted you, back to back to your point about the initial easy things you think people should do. Yeah, and an initial easy thing that people can do, this is, this kind of bleeds into it's both technical and on-page SEO, but from a technical perspective, what we found is really important for e-commerce sites is having a proper site architecture. So basically, setting up your uh, category pages in a way that's going to be intuitive for users to understand and Google to crawl and understand the hierarchy of how things work. I had a company that sold shoes, for example. I might want to set up a page 
for you know general shoes that had all of my shoes. Then I might want to set up a subcategory page for my Nike shoes. And then if I had Nike running shoes, setting up a third category page that's internally linked to from the Nike shoes page to go to the Nike running shoes page. And what that does is allows users to easily filter down to each layer to figure out, hey, which one is the most relevant to me and really get to see kind of different views of all your site's products. But it also provides Google a really easy way of understanding kind of the hierarchy of how your site works. So by doing that and setting up that kind of proper architecture, by ensuring that all of your product and category pages are properly categorized and labeled and kind of work in this existing hierarchy structure, that can be a really, really powerful way uh, of just helping your Shopify sites SEO. And, and really, if you can actually map out how everything should be kind of categorized, it's actually a fairly, fairly straightforward way to ensure you have really good technical SEO foundation kind of out of the gate. It's a very valid point. And we spend probably half of our first, or well, half our time in the first few months we work with anyone trying to sort out that architecture. Because back to last week, those, those examples you've just given of like the Nike category and then into Nike running as a sort of subcategory or subcollection of, of that master one, you're doing all that from a keyword perspective, aren't you? So you're working from some sort of map to say, Nike is a massive keyword for us. So we're going to have Nike as our main category. And then actually Nike running shoes is another category we've got. It's less traffic, so we'll put it as a sort of level two. It's almost building the kind of architecture based on your keyword targeting, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, it's basically where it's starting from kind of those, those top, you know, what SEOs would call head terms, and then starting to filter more down into those long tail terms kind of as you go. Sure. And how do you tackle something? And it's a big question we have in our business, but how would you tackle something? For example, I always use this as it's a really key one, but for example, like dresses. So one customer might search for a new dress based on the occasion in hand. So they might be looking for a dress for the races. So they're going to go and watch the horse racing. They might look for a prom dress to go to their prom, stuff like that. And then equally, somebody else might be looking for the same product, but they might use the keyword maxi dress, which is a style of dress or cocktail dress, because that's the style and design they want. Somebody else wants an orange dress. Somebody else wants a, you know, a size eight dress. So in terms of architecture, how do you recommend people manage all those different potential journeys? Yeah, definitely. So I, I think the first way to map that out um, starts at figuring out what are the different ways, kind of as you mentioned, that people will search for our products. Do they look at dresses by color? Do they look at dresses by type? Do they look at dresses by occasion? And then once you found the ones that are, you think are kind of associated with your site's core keywords and are fundamental to how your users search, then set up your navigation based on that. I actually ran into a fantastic example recently my wife and I were looking for uh, wedding flowers for, for a wedding we just had congratulations <laughs> yeah thank you very much and I ran into the Shopify site that she was on called flower moxie it's a U, uh, it's a US based uh, company and the way they set it up is just fantastic you can shop by flower color um, so you can shop by you know blush flowers peach flowers pink flowers you can also shop by flower type so curly Delilah's and you can also kind of shop by different color combinations of flowers as well. I and mean, what they did is they made three separate uh, top-level navigation items that highlight all of those different ways that people are searching. Really fantastic way to kind of architect the site and really think about what are the, you know, the top three use cases for our users searching and then highlighting that directly in the navigation and the site architecture. I think it's a fantastic example. You know, it's similar to the dress one I was giving where it's kind of, People have different uses. So as you say, some will look by the occasion of the event that they need the flowers for. Other ones will go by style or even type of flower and, and the list goes on. I think it's really, really key, this point, because so many businesses we work with, we find that they have 
I always use this example that they've been walking around their warehouse with a clipboard going, right, we sell that, add that on the site, we sell that, add that on the site, rather than going, it doesn't matter how everything's organized in our warehouse. It doesn't matter what we call it internally. What really matters is the keyword, what the user calls it. And then that, that therefore drives the technical architecture of the sites. So as you say, if we find that actually people looking for a dress by occasion or flowers by occasion, if that's five times the amount of traffic than people looking by size, well, actually size should be quite far down our list. You know, we should start with the main ones to get those bigger traffic waves first because it might take us longer to start ranking for them. So we're going to start today. But I think it's a very valid point. Just anybody listening in, I would recommend having a look at your site and thinking, did I call my categories on the site and the product names and the categorization and the architecture did I do that purely based on the way that I think it's going to work? Or did I start by doing a huge amount of keyword research, understanding my customers, the way they shop, what they really want, and then creating the architecture as a result of that? Would you agree with that, Chris? Oh, yeah, 100%. That's definitely one of the first exercises I recommend that any store owner take um, is really just deep thinking about how are my products categorized? And I, and I think to your point, you know, I think you also touched on maybe thinking about it in a different way, right? Don't just think about how you categorize your products internally. Think about how your users are, are searching for your products because that's the way you want to architect the site. Definitely a, a big thing we see. We see a lot of sites where maybe an internal team has, has constructed the texture of the site as opposed to actually saying, hey, what do the users want? What are the users looking for? And kind of architecting their site that way. I think that's a great point that you brought up. I always, uh, there's like an alarm bell that goes off in my head when I'm at conferences and things. And somebody gets on and says, well, welcome from such and such a brand. And tell us about the business. And they always say, we are a customer first. I instantly go on their website and go, nah, I doubt people, I doubt people go on Google and type in men's you know, and that's the name of one of your main categories on here. Like, I doubt anyone looks for that. I think they probably look menswear, men's clothing, men's shoes, etc. You know, they might have that further down, but you sort of look at it. And as you say, it's kind of, you want to categorize about how people are looking. I think a fundamental thing as well is if you don't name a page, a, a specific keyword, or you don't have any content that actually talks about those keywords and the content might be a category or product. But if you don't have that, Google cannot rank you, can they? Exactly. That's also a very common thing we see is really gaps between, hey, we want to rank for this particular keyword. We want to rank for, you know, Nike running shoes. And you go look at the website and there's no there's no category page for that content, right? There may be just the general Nike shoes page that shows all of the different products. But oftentimes without that content, without, you know, without the proper content to actually exist on the site, your site can't rank for a lot of target keywords. So also something to keep in mind for, if you want to rank for a keyword, you need to make sure there's always an associated page. Generally on Shopify, it's going to be category pages, unless you have products that are in very, very high demand. Yeah, definitely. and that would be a product search, wouldn't it? If somebody said, I want this specific model of Adidas shoes, they would go straight onto Google, look up that specific model and find it. Exactly. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's a very valid point, you know, just, just to really hammer it home that if you don't have any content about something, you're not going to rank for it. So we, we've had businesses local to us before approach and say, you know, we're a local uh, property firm. We help people buy and sell houses. And I'm like, well, what do you want to be number one on Google for? And they're like, estate agent Leatherheads, because our office is based in Leatherheads. And so people say, you know, like we want to be number one for estate agent Leatherheads. I go on their homepage and literally just do Apple F or Control F on a, on a Windows machine and look for the word estate. I look for the word agent or agents. And then I look for the word Leatherheads. And I'll instantly say, well, you've clearly not optimized your site because if that's your main big keyword, the whole business falls under that banner. And that is what customers will look for. You don't even have it as a phrase on your homepage 
And then sometimes they'll say, okay, well, we'll just add that in. And you often say, well, no, don't do that. Do you want to do it properly? You know, we'll optimize the whole site and then have another thing, which you, you sort of alluded to a second ago is the kind of supporting content, isn't it? So once you've got your, just, just having your hierarchy and architecture in intact and in a really good format, that's not going to be enough to get you to the top of Google, is it, necessarily on its own? It might in some sort of niche industries, but what, what other sort of things do you think people then need to start doing with like associated content or, I know we're not talking about link building today, but you know, some of the awareness bits, what, what else can people do once they've achieved that step? Yeah. So once you've built out the content, the next part is first, there's your basic, you know, what we call SEO, you know, one-on-one blocking and tackling. As you mentioned, now that you have created your site with a great architecture, go through each page and ensure that your on-page optimization is, you know, really, really solid. So that's, you know, ensuring your title tag includes the core keywords of the content, your H1 tags, if you have opportunities to add additions of content below or paragraphs of content at the bottom of your category pages, that's oftentimes an opportunity. There, d- different SEOs have different takes on paragraph text at the bottom of category pages, but there have been studies, uh, there have been studies that have been run that have showed that you know it works, right? There's actually SEOAB split tests run by a company called Distilled that said, hey, these that we d- added this text at the bottom of category pages and it, and it did improve SEO. That's another another really, really strong one. Do you think they have to be at the bottom of the category page or do you think they can go at the top or what's your view on that? Because we have a sort of mixed approach depending on who the client is, but we really can get your thoughts on whether the, the paragraph should go at the top, the bottom. Should it be hidden with a read more button or should it just be all visible? What, what do you think? That's a great question. I, I've heard, I think the best way to do anything will be one CRO test it, right? See which one users prefer. But if it, just my general advice would probably be at the bottom. I'm a big advocate of get the get the core content to the users first and anything else secondary push that later down in the page experience so i think the core thing when you're looking at a category page just as a user is i i want to see the product listings i want to see the product listings i want to see the filtering options i want to be able to interact with that content as soon as possible i don't want to have to you know scroll for half a second to you know maybe read some text Generally, I'm going to know what the page I'm looking at is about. I don't really need the category. I don't need the paragraph text uh, to kind of further expand on that. So my my general approach when it comes to sites is get the user the content they're looking for as fast as you possibly can. Sure. Uh, one of our clients calls it lift and shift. However, we did a bit of a study and even looked at the, the keywords we were going to target. And a lot of them were for new parents. So you'd be buying stuff for your baby that's about to be born. So in that specific instance, we actually decided to put the paragraphs at the top. We put two lines in and then a read more button. So we still had what, as I say, the client calls lift and shift. We still had that ever presence. People can get to that content as quickly as possible. But given that it was lots of new parents, a lot of the keywords were like quite broad. You know, it was like, what's a baby grow or baby grows? Whereas actually there's lots of different types of baby grows. They, they might have a different name in the, in the US, but there's lots of different types. So even on that category, we were sort of saying, well, you know, if somebody lands here, they're probably a first time parent. Because if you've had a baby already, you might have some baby grows from the previous baby. So A, you wouldn't need them. B, you wouldn't search for them. And C, if you did, you'd just get straight to them. So the products are still there. But actually putting the paragraphs at the top was slightly more viable. However, for something that's like a, a white goods company, for example, selling dishwashers and washing machines, People know they need a dishwasher. They've probably even Googled the type, like how, you know, there's the streamlined, there's the normal size. They've probably even typed in to Google something like that. So actually, they know full well what they want. They just need to start comparing products. It's probably about cost, delivery time. You know, let's focus on the USPs of the business as opposed to, as you say, 
trying to clutter them with all this information when actually they don't need it. So, um, yeah, it's, again, it's a question we get asked a lot. Should we put it at the top or the bottom? And we're sort of like, well, make sure it's on the page. But, you know, the top, if we need to educate people in this category, the bottom, if we don't, and probably come up with one rule for all categories on that site. You know, we wouldn't sort of have one where it's at the top, one at the bottom. It, also within Shopify, it becomes a bit of a nightmare with templates, trying to have little differences like that. And you just need one new person to come in who doesn't understand what the templates are, hasn't read all the cheat sheets and does it wrong. And suddenly the whole site's got a bit of an issue. So uh, yeah, so again, got to be got to be careful about that sort of thing. But hence why I wanted to, to ask the question. Okay, so what are some of the SEO limitations on Shopify? And I think we are going to do a whole podcast episode on this. We're really keen to hear what you, uh, what you sell this at the moment, Chris. But there's a lot of talk that Shopify is bad for SEO. There's a lot of content around that. There's a lot of stuff on Twitter. Be really keen to hear your thoughts, Chris, on whether it is good or bad for, you know, for SEO. And then also what are some of the limitations, some things you can't do in it or things that you necessarily wouldn't do easily? Yeah, definitely. And that, that, that's, a, that's a question, you know, it's a, it's a hot topic in the SEO industry. Is Shopify bad for SEO? And, and honestly... I, I don't. I don't think it is right. I think you can do. I've seen Shopify sites rank completely fine. There, there are some limitations, but I would say, especially Shopify's Jackson Lowe, I believe he is he is really doing a great job uh, of kind of engaging with the SEO community and making the platform better and better. I believe one of, one of the critiques, for example, was uh, internationalization. It was basically very hard to target uh, Shopify sites. Uh, basically, hard to have Shopify sites target international markets. And I believe they just released internationalization fairly recently that allows you to set up Shopify sites on something like a French subdomain. So, so really, really, like Shopify, uh, there are some limitations, uh, but they do seem to be doing a really good job of kind of addressing those. The big one that we tend to see is just kind of how Shopify internally links to its content and thereby creating duplicate content. So if you go on any category page on Shopify, out of the box, the product listings on that category page will link to all duplicate pages. That, that's kind of one of the big critiques. Those pages will have the term collections and products in the URL. However, when you actually go to those pages and then look at the canonical tag or the tag that says what should the ranking page should be, it's actually a page in a different URL. It just has products in the URL. So what essentially Shopify is doing is within your category pages, for every single product that you have, another duplicate page exists and it links to that duplicate page within the site architecture of the site, which is not really ideal for SEO because you have a whole bunch, your site is basically internally linking to all these pages that technically aren't eligible to rank. There is a solution for that. And what you can do is make an adjustment to the product grid. It's called a product grid item liquid file. Um, you can actually make a very, very simple code adjustment that will completely fix that issue for you. But it's something that a lot of Shopify store owners might not be aware that kind of happens directly out of the box. Sure. And I think that we're actually tackling that as an issue with one of our clients at the moment where they've got quite a deep category structure. So at the moment, their URLs for a category would be forward slash men's, forward slash clothing, forward slash t-shirts, forward slash uh, Nike forward slash name of products. Now, from an SEO point of view, that's a kind of good and bad link. It's quite long, but it includes so much good stuff and it's quite a nice organized link. Of course, migrating them to Shopify Plus, we're now stuck with forward slash products, forward slash name of product, or forward slash collections, forward slash name of collection. We can't go any deeper than that. Obviously, somebody coming from Magento may have lost their deep linking into like forward slash men's forward slash clothing forward slash t-shirts etc because the urls now are only going to have sort of two steps it's always going to be 
products or collections and then the name of the product or the collection after that. So are there any other ways you can show Google the, the sort of deep linking hierarchy structure to the site so Google doesn't see the site as just being all completely flat, you know, 99% of pages sitting in the collections folder or the, the product folder? Yeah, so I do think it's like a higher priority SEO issue that would be great if Shopify could kind of rectify that, right? Being able to essentially set up your URLs in an intelligent way that you could basically like nest the URLs like you're talking about. Yeah, and have a kind of master category, subcategory, sub-subcategory, etc. Exactly. Yeah, I do think that's uh, that's definitely one of the larger outstanding uh, limitations with Shopify, right, is one, for the users, it's not as clean looking, but it's really nice for users to be able to see that, you know, nested URL structure like we were talking about where it's, you know, Nike slash, you know, it's shoes slash Nike slash running. The fact that Shopify doesn't do that is a bit limiting in terms of your actual ability to optimize your URLs. I would say that's a higher priority issue. I do believe that Google, in Google's eyes, it should actually be able to figure out the structure if you internally link your website properly. Google does base uh, site architecture more on the internal links than the actual URL path. So in that standpoint, I don't think it's as high a priority of an issue, but just the fact that you can't nicely nest those URLs still for any e-commerce site, it is pretty standard, right? You should definitely be able to kind of you know have that proper categorization just from a user standpoint. There actually is a guide called Technical SEO, uh, for Shopify by Detlef Johnson. I believe he does talk about how you can make some adjustments to those URLs using Cloudflare workers. Uh, it's definitely something worth checking out to see, hey, can we actually adjust the URL structure given by Shopify by using a third-party tool like Cloudflare? It's quite, yeah. I mean, I, I've seen the guide and I think it's a good solution for the right business, but it's quite a technical way of fixing what essentially is a very technical problem. You know, my, my question was incredibly technical. So I was sort of thinking if you don't answer, absolutely fine. But no, I think you're absolutely right that it's, it is a problem. And I think what we've had to do is find other ways around it. So using things like uh, fixed breadcrumbs. So on each collection now and each product, we can fix a breadcrumb. So Google can then look at the breadcrumb to say, okay, this product lives in this category. Because the way Shopify is set up at the box, it won't, it, Google won't necessarily even know which category or which is the sort of sub-subcategory that the product actually lives in. Because Google will obviously find it in men's, it will find it in clothing, it will find it in t-shirts, it will find it in Nike, it will find it in shop by brand forward slash Nike. So actually being able to tell Google that, you know, this product lives in this specific category here and all of the master categories above that, you know, all the parent categories from, from there up. But uh, let's go to a slightly more simple question now, because I think what I don't want to do is lose people too quickly, because I appreciate we got very technical then. Uh, I knew that was going to happen on a technical SEO podcast. But let's kind of bring it back to something that's a bit more simple, which is we're going to talk about site speed. So Shopify obviously gets quite a lot of bad, bad reputation for site speed. And that's one thing the SEO community are always complaining about is Google site speed tester will always come back telling you your Google site speed is 10 out of 100 and it's red. You know, is that a problem? What can people do about it? Are there any quick wins that you know of? Yeah. So in terms of Shopify, it, it, it's, it's tricky, right? Because when we work with e-commerce stores and do site performance recommendations, almost all e-commerce stores perform very badly in Google page speed insights. And, and it's probably just the, the nature of having an e-commerce store, right? If you if you want to have all the nice and shiny things, if you want to have your chat bot, you know, your pop-up, you know, your pop-ups. Your review widgets and like, yeah, all these scripts running. Oh yeah, Yotpo. Yeah, Yotpo is a big like speed killer on uh, on Shopify sites. If you want to have all those things, which are, which are necessary content in a lot of ways, 
um, that that's going to slow down the site. The more the more you add to the site, the more it's going to slow it down. Basically, what when we analyze sites, the only sites we see really start to like broach that you know. 80, 90 plus performance measure on Google are like your standard marketing sites that are basically some images and some text and a more, you know, contact form generation sites. Those are going to perform a lot better. Some e-commerce stores can be faster, um, but generally like two to 30 or something like that on Google page speed insights. Shopify stores actually, from what we've seen perform, not too bad when compared to other platforms, but there are definitely ways that you can make it perform better out of the box. One of my favorite solutions for that is using lazy loading. If I does lazy loading out of the box, um, we've had developers implement what's called the lazy sizes library. Very, very straightforward way to um, improve Shopify site speed. Uh, obviously, you can do things like compress and reducing large image sizes. There's uh, manual is generally the best way to do that. But you can also use automated tools or apps like Crush.Picks. Very, very straightforward way. As well, you could also set it when you're deciding what site to go with. You can also, you know, set yourself up for success. If you're using a, a Shopify theme, you can choose a Shopify theme that tends to perform a bit faster. Uh, we actually did a study where we broke down the top five um, Shopify themes, and we actually we actually ran them all through Google PageSpeed Insights and found the top five ones for users to maybe set themselves up for success. So that's also another one is just choosing the Shopify themes based on site performance. Kind of the last recommendation uh, I would have would um, be really, ha really having an honest conversation with yourself and your dev team about, you know, what, what Shopify apps do we actually use? Do we actually use our chat bot? Is it how crucial is it to conversions? You know, if it is, it needs to stay on. And if it's not, maybe having an honest conversation saying, hey, this is, you know, this is actually delaying page load times and really we're finding our users aren't engaging with it that much. Let's for now remove that to improve load times. Uh, so having those honest conversations about site functionality can be can be kind of difficult and challenging, uh, but something worth having if you're if you're really serious about improving e-commerce site performance. I think it's a very good point as well, just about some of the scripts and even things like live chat. There are ways to make those a bit like your lazy load example, make them load after page load. So actually, going back to a point you made much earlier, you know, get, just, just get people to the products as quickly as possible. They don't want to sit around. You know, mobile shopping has just been increasing and increasing for years, and it doesn't show any signs of, uh, of slowing down. So actually, somebody's on a mobile connection, even on Wi-Fi at home, it might be quite slow. You know, you've got to think about this stuff. So yes, it might be nice to have all these different things there. But again, going back to the point you made even earlier than that about keywords and what customers are actually looking for, have a think about what the customer really wants to do here, how much of your content and the things that are loading on your pages and actually slowing down page load, how many of them are things you're trying to put on top of other people or push in front of other people as your agenda? And how many of them are actually just things people typed into Google, want to find, want to buy? And sometimes it's a case of saying, well, do you know what? No one really uses live chat. And actually our review widget is important but instead of having it as a widget, we might just make it a, you know, an image for now, or we might just use a, a smaller widget that loads a lot quicker. Because it's not, although we love going on about how many reviews we've got as a business, and there's no, nothing bad about that. You know, it's a good trust signal to a customer. Right now, they're just trying to find out if you've got the right pair of shoes that they're interested in buying. The reviews can come a little bit later. I think certainly on collection pages where most people are going to land from SEO, let's make sure they load as quickly as possible. But there are some things you can't affect, aren't there, Chris, that on another website, you know, on a Magento instance, you could, things like server speed or the way the back end works, you, you could 
modify some of that sort of stuff, couldn't you, to increase page speed. But obviously on Shopify, there is a bit of a restriction around that. A lot of that is locked down out of your reach. Yep. Unfortunately, that that's definitely the case. Um, they do they do a decent job. Uh, they do, you know, have a CDN out of the box, which which is helpful to a lot of, you know, uh, store owners who might not be as technical. But yeah, you are right with, with a lot of those, especially kind of like more backend site speed optimizations. Those are going to be kind of out of a lot of site owners control. So you're going to be kind of probably focusing more on uh, elements that really impact kind of that critical rendering path. Sure. And I think that makes a lot of sense. Like it's good to have a fast page speed, but equally, it's not the most important thing. Like, you know, if your page speed's slow, but Google can see people are landing on your site, having a good experience, they're not bouncing back. And actually, when they do eventually come back to Google, they ch- completely change their search. Clearly, they've had a good experience, possibly bought the product they were looking for. Page speed is a very secondary thing, isn't it? If they've had the right experience and you've got a good monopoly on your products and you've got a good product, it doesn't really matter if the page loads a little bit slower than it could. Yeah, I think it all comes down to how valuable it are all of these different features, right? If if a feature is, is slowing down the page, but providing a good positive user experience, your website chat is you know killing it for you then you know you you need to keep that on despite maybe this page speed ramifications and also something people need to keep in mind is that page speed it's it's a relative thing right my expectations for how an e-commerce site is going to load is definitely way different than my expectations uh, of how maybe a news site that uses amp is going to load so uh, page speed is very relative and it's probably more helpful to think about to measure your page speed against other competitors than your page speed against, you know, what Google Insights is saying or what the web as a whole is doing, because you're going to get misleading numbers that way. That's that. I mean, that's a very good question. A, a client asked us recently, like, you know, 20 out of 100 on mobile page speed on Google's page speed tester. That's absolutely awful, isn't it? How do we increase that? And we had a look and said, well, your existing site, so we're launching this site soon, your existing site is currently at five out of 100. So we're now 15% better than that. 60% if you look at it in terms of percentage, uh, not not on points. But again, it was that kind of question. And we looked at their competitors and all their competitors were five or 10 out of 100. And actually the landing pages people were landing on, the keywords were things like quote, quote calculator or estimated cost. So actually the pages people were loading did have scripts in them. You know, they're, they're actually expecting to make a calculation here. And they're basically getting a free piece of software within a web page to use to make a calculation for something. So actually people didn't mind waiting two seconds instead of one and a half. You wouldn't even notice the difference. I think, I think you're absolutely right that, you know, Google is quite obsessed with page speed, but it is a secondary thing to, is this the right content, the right product, the right user journey, and do customers like this business or not? Yes, 100%. And, and to your point, um, you know, you say 20 out of 100. To me, as an e-commerce store, that's, you're, you're in the not too bad range in that. <laughs> it sounds, you know, it looks, it looks jarring to a lot of webmasters, but as... You know, I've ran, I've done a good amount of uh, site performance analyses for for e-commerce sites. And, you know, you're you're generally on the more okay end if you're 20 out of 100. And if you're, you know, 36, 40, you're doing, you're really doing well. We did manage to get a headless Shopify store and we've only worked on one and it was a bit of a failure and the whole headless system didn't work too well. But the page speed of that was 93 out of 100 on mobile. And we were kind of like sitting there going, well, that's great, but no one wants to buy from us anymore because the way we had to change the site to go headless means the live chat doesn't quite work. Everything you click on actually has a slight delay. So page speed's really quick, but as soon as you click like read more to expand some content or add to cart, you're left waiting for a couple of seconds. The business decided in the end we probably shouldn't have invested all this money in headless. It's not really worked. 
And actually they found their rankings, their rankings went up a little bit for like two or three weeks. And after that, they started coming down because less customers were buying. People going on the site going, is this site broken? I can't add to cart. So they'll click it multiple times. And then they'll add like 10 products to their cart, by, the, by which point they're probably leaving the site anyway. So it's kind of the page speed was quick. And Google page speed gave us a nice big green 92, 93 out of 100. But you know, it was, at, it was sacrificing all the good stuff that actually customers really wanted. Google's smart enough now to really see that, aren't they? Yeah, 100%. And the way I would... And, and I don't know, a, a way I kind of look at it is, you know, site speed, it's a factor at SEO, but to this, and Google is clearly going to make, uh, is making efforts to make it an even larger factor. But right now I just view, I view it as a very small portion of SEO. And I still look at it more as maybe an element of your overall, uh, an element of your user experience uh, as more important than just a part of SEO. Um, so maybe an, it's an element of, hey, what experience does this site give me? Um, so maybe it's a conversation that's part of, hey, do we adjust like the live chat, the reviews and, and things like that? It's more, I view it as more of a function of the experience as more than specifically, hey, we need to improve site speed to improve SEO, if, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. I think as long as it's manageable. Um, cool. Well, it's been great to have you on the podcast today, Chris. Just before we disappear, same question I asked for a lot of people. Anything else you want to share? Anything else that we sort of touched on today you think would be really useful for our listeners to uh, to take on board? Yeah, sure. Um, so I think some if people are interested in in getting other Shopify resources out there, um, we have created a few. If you go on moz.com slash blog slash Shopify SEO, we've created a very large guide towards Shopify SEO as well. We've also developed um, on the GoFish digital site, um, a Shopify SEO learning center um, that can definitely be helpful for users. So check those out. Um, if you're a newer site, they can definitely kind of give you a great foundation for improving SEO on the Shopify platform. Awesome. And if people want to get in touch with you, Chris, or anyone in the business, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at GoFishChris, or, or just send me a LinkedIn request, uh, Chris Long at GoFish Digital. Those are probably the two best ways to get in touch with me. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on the show today, Chris. I really appreciate it. Some amazing insights. So thank you so much for joining us. Yep. Thank you so much for having me, Nick. It was great. Hope to do it again soon. Cool. And for everybody else listening, please go and support the show. Make sure you go and subscribe if you haven't already. As mentioned right at the start of this and the last few weeks building up to these podcasts, next week we're going to be talking about SEO content. And the week after that, we'll be talking about offsite as well. So giving you guys the four main pillars of SEO to make a success of trying to optimize your Shopify store. So thanks again for listening. Look forward to having you with us next time. And I hope you are all staying well. Sign up for free for the Shopify-approved marketing course at 1000salesandbeyond.com and get our show notes at justaskparker.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening to the Winning with Shopify podcast. See you next time.